Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are going into chapters six through nine of Persuasion. Yes. And we are joined by a very, very special guest. <laughs> if you listen back to our Northanger Abbey episodes last year, you will recognize her, Kristen Smith. Or Dr. Kristen Smith, I should call her. <laughs> Hi, Maya. Hi, Christian. <laughs> welcome, welcome. We're so excited to have you back, our reading buddy, uh, our Jane Austen book club. <laughs> it's good to have an excuse to read Persuasion. <laughs> this one is your favorite, right? Or am I wrong in that? Well, I'm a little bit like I think you are, and it kind of depends on what I'm reading at the time. So. Yeah. <laughs> But this one is usually my favorite, yeah. Awesome. I guess let's just do a little bit of a refresher to introduce you in case, you know, people don't remember. But could you tell us a little bit about your background with Jane Austen? Sure. So I started reading Jane Austen. We'll see if this matches what I said last year. But um, (laughs) (laughs) late high school, early college, in 1995, well, Pride and Prejudice came out, the miniseries, and that was amazing. And so I think that really showed me what Austin could be. And from there, it's just, I've never really looked back. Uh, she is one of my very favorite authors. I love the insight she has into real people. Yeah. There's so many times when I'm reading a character and I say, oh, I know somebody who does that, or I know somebody who thinks that way, or, oh, do sometimes I think that way. That's not good. Um, so, so I really enjoy having that kind of character work to yeah. sort of dive into. And then when I was in grad school, I did my work on early modern uh, women poets and writers but so that's about 200 years before her. But uh, I did also make sure I took classes about Jane Austen. So <laughs> I took a couple of grad classes about her as well. So awesome. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this time reading through, I was connect. Well, I don't know, maybe just like this whole podcast. I feel like I've been a little more strangely connecting to some of the more ridiculous characters and being like, okay, maybe you're calling me out. So did you find anything new this time reading through that you were like, hmm, I had never thought about that before. I never noticed this before. It feels sadder this time um, than it has for a while. I think just because of the last year and things going on in my life personally and everybody's lives, I think I'm just really aware of how devastating it can be to lose people, whether it's through death or through just broken relationships. And yeah, so it's, I feel a lot more sad about the sort of loss that she's, that Anna's had in her relationship with Wentworth and, you know, the broken relationships with her sisters and her dad and stuff. So there's that. And then since you guys have started your podcast, you've made me more aware of some of the other Austin podcasts. So I've been listening to them when I get a chance and there had been, I don't remember which one it was, whether it was Bonnets at Dawn or, or First Impressions or who it was, but they were talking about the scene that we read for, for today where Mrs. Musgrove is sighing over her son and there's 
commentary from the narrator about her quote unquote fat sighings and about the incongruity of her body with her feelings. And they had really taken Austin to task. And it's not something that I had thought about before, unfortunately. Yeah. So I was noticing some more of that kind of thing as well this time. Yeah. Around. Yeah. I definitely a couple of times was like, and could you <laughs> maybe, I mean, I guess maybe you're not perfect because you do still have some things that I'm like, okay. And I definitely <laughs> noticed the fat comments. She had a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah. there's one particularly near the end where she's talking about mrs musgrove and i'm like oh <laughs> that, that hurts me in. <laughs> <laughs> but you know jane Austen was afraid she would be uh too good so i guess it's okay because you know that's what i like about jane austen like her good characters they have their faults and even the bad characters you're like some of them are you know they Redeemable. have a lot of good qualities as well yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> and that's what makes them feel a little more real as well, right? Not yeah. just that you recognize parts of yourself in it, although that's a big part of it, but when they are too perfect or seem too perfect, eh, they're just not as interesting, not as recognizable, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And I mean, you wouldn't expect Anne to grow up in the way she did and not have some prejudice, even if she tries to fight <laughs> against it. It's like, how can you not? <laughs> Look at her father. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Even All Lady Russell, she's pretty okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially compared to every single other person around her. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Something about her and Mary, they just turned out not as terrible as Elizabeth. Don't know what happened yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. And Mary mm. is trying at best. <laughs> <laughs> Mary is my favorite. <laughs> the most. <laughs> Well, should we go ahead and do some notes? Sure. Yeah. Unless we had other first impression stuff for this these chapters. I think the only thing I, I had thought of was like how um, you had said, Kristen, about how it's kind of sad to read it with the in the context of loss, especially what we've been going through. And it was just like, it really like kind of gave me the idea because if I, I feel like I would have initially come to the conclusion or like to the thought that like, why is she so broken up like over this one person for like almost 10 years it seems like but I guess when you really think about it like a severing of a relationship at that time was like for good like you probably would never see them ever again especially living yeah. in the country like that so it just kind of like really made me realize like how awful of a situation she's in yeah I mean I've lost friends not you know just because of varying circumstances that kind of felt like oh it feels like they died <laughs> because yeah. it's like there's just mm. no resolution possible yeah <laughs> thank goodness we have married sorry to break it up. <laughs> didn't mean to break things down. <laughs> no. <laughs> no it's appropriate for this book it's very thoughtful and i feel like jane austen was thoughtful when she was writing it because she was you know at the end of her life <laughs> yeah i had made a comment the uh, last episode about how it almost feels like Anne is a way for us to kind of talk directly to Jane almost because she seems so mirroring of how Jane was at that age and at that time where she was really introspective and kind of looking back at things that have happened and it just feels like we're getting a conversation with Jane which is really cool. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> 
So for notes today, I thought I would do a little bit um, on the development of the book. So I had found that the characters of Persuasion, a lot of them had been inspired by Jane Austen's kind of personal life as a lot of her work is, but they mainly were inspired by the career of her um, brother, Charles Austen, who was a Royal Navy officer. And because there are some similarities between the career of him and the fictional Captain Wentworth. So I think she kind of modeled him after her brother. That's cool. They're about the same age. They're both popular with their crews and they both progressed the command of frigates, like basically took the same career path. I think she must have really made friends with some of the Navy people of her Mm -hmm. brother's friends because... She just has such great things to say about Navy people in general throughout the book that it feels like she really had some experience there. Yeah. Well, I think it's like like a last episode when we talked about how at that time Britain was involved in two wars, the War of 1812 and the Napoleonic Wars. And so I think I think this is one of the only wars where it didn't come back to England, like there was no battle within the borders. So they had a lot of respect for the Navy people for being able to keep the battles outside of uh, England. Yeah. And, you know, I bet naval people probably had like a broader, you know, almost like a broader worldview because of all the different places they've experienced. And I bet that would be great for Jane because, you know, Mm -hmm. she seemed to really love that kind of a conversation where she could really, you know, talk to people with understanding. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And learn something. (laughs) But they also say that Mrs. Croft is probably also modeled after Captain Austin's wife, Fanny, because she had also lived a lot on some naval vessels and they had gotten married in like Bermuda and had uh, crossed the Atlantic like five times. So she is really kind of taking this character and model. They're they're exactly the same as her real life family. So (laughs) that's cool. Because she's one of my favorite characters. (laughs) Yeah. She was great. I'm really glad. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad that we're getting into Mrs. Croft because I like her a lot. Yeah. And I think it's pretty much it. I mean, they just, you know, it's a lot about how these two characters kind of, it seems like maybe she took these two characters and kind of like was building the story around them in this part of the book because, you know, they're such important characters for these passages which is where we get to meet Wentworth really and uh, meet the Crofts. So yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, that is cool. Maybe we should do a deep dive on that sister sometime. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But not this one because I've already done all the work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But should we just go ahead and dive into the deep? No, not the deep dive. Dive into the recap because (laughs) we got a lot to cover. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I know it's only uh, four chapters, but. It's quite a bit of it. They're, they're long ones, yeah. <laughs> so last we saw, Anne had just gotten to Uppercross and met with Mary, and they were heading to the big house to, you know, have tea and meet everybody. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so Anne, for the past however many months, has basically been only thinking about this move to Bath. 
And so she was a little disappointed when she gets to Uppercross and finds that nobody cares about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> she says she learned the art of knowing our own nothingness beyond our own circle. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I, I definitely feel that. It's funny, especially considering where her mind is when she gets back from upper cross and she's like i don't care about this bath stuff but right now she's like i'm only thinking about bath and nobody cares at all they're like oh you guys moved away <laughs> big deal, <No> big deal. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about myself <laughs> okay and we really get to see why Anne is such a good person in this chapter we start to see when she realizes that no one cares about them moving to bath she resolves to avoid stuff such self-delusion in the future <laughs> and feels gratitude that she has Lady Russell who actually listens to her concerns. <laughs> She's like, at least I have one person who cares. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I do like her self-reflection like, oh, you know, of course I'm not the center of the world. Nobody's, not everybody has to think about the same things I'm thinking about. But she is looking forward to a couple months at Uppercross. Mary is way better than Elizabeth. She even listens to her advice from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mary. <laughs> she's fun. Yeah, she's definitely comes across as way less annoying as she does in a lot of the adaptations. Anne likes Charles. She thinks that he is superior to his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm not sure if this is Anne or the narrator or if they're the same at this point. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's so funny. It's so funny to think about the fact that he proposed to Anne first because they just don't seem like a, they don't seem to go together very well. <laughs> like him and Mary seem to compliment each other so, so well. It's just fully funny to think about. Yeah, it's true. I'm sure the statement would be opposite if Anne and him had married. <laughs> he yes. would not be superior to his wife. No. <laughs> yeah, she thinks a good wife might have improved him, but He's basically only into shooting and visiting with his parents. <laughs> he does, he's, he's not really that affected by Mary's moods. And they might even pass as a happy couple. <laughs> <laughs> you squint uh, and look sideways. Yeah. <laughs> you never listen to what they're saying. <laughs> We learn about their management or mismanagement of their children. <laughs> they both accuse the other of ruining all their work and keeping them in line, though Anne thinks the blame is a little more on Mary's side. <laughs> the older Musgroves also think that the boys are wi too wild. <laughs> and <laughs> basically everyone, as soon as she gets there, everyone's talking to Anne and telling her how the others are not doing this or that right. And she's just, she's like, ah. she just listens to them and says she could do little more than listen patiently, soften every grievance and excuse each to the other, give them all hints of the forbearance necessary between such neighbors and make those hints broadest, which were meant for her sister's benefit. Because <laughs> you know she's going to take, take offense the easiest. <laughs> Yes. Everyone's like, oh, good. Our family psychiatrist is here. Let's yeah. unload all of our problems on her and have her figure them out for us. Our mediator. Please yes, deliver exactly. this message. I was thinking in this one, is this the most that we see of children in Austin? Like little so. kids acting like little kids. Like 
there's the Middleton's kids in Sense and Sensibility, but we don't they're always them. seen through the eyes of a grown up. But it's almost like these kids you can sort of see in their minds a little bit. Yeah. Maybe it's because Anne actually takes care of them so much that right. we <laughs> get to see them so much. Yeah. Because a lot of times it feels like the children are just kind of sh- yeah. sent to another Shut room off. in the other box. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Morelands, we saw we saw some of their kids, but that was only mostly at the beginning and the end. So Yeah, she leaves. Yeah. And to be fair, there's about a bajillion more kids who are just not at home right now. <laughs> yeah. That was psychotic. <laughs> I can't even imagine the Christmas that we come to, which is still a few episodes away, but the amount of kids there. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So even though Anne plays the piano better than everyone else, no one actually ever listens to her play for pleasure. <laughs> She's just basically an act break in between them doting on their daughters playing. <laughs> <laughs> but the family is very popular and they have parties every night, dinners, callers, more than anyone else in the neighborhood. And I kept getting confused because I thought this neighborhood was the same as the Kellynch neighborhood, but I think they're just like neighboring neighborhoods. They're just, they're not exactly the same neighborhood. That's what I got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess, well, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, okay. Well, so they're like the three cr- miles. They're like three miles away. Right. So yeah, it's a little far to walk. On a regular so are there just like people who live on the Musgrove land and then people who live on the Kellynch land are considered the neighbors of that I don't know. I don't know. I think so. <laughs> I could probably tune into Virtual Jane Con, which is going on right now, and there'd probably be some panel about just <laughs> the zoning. I, it's too bad I didn't really find out about it, or I didn't really realize it was happening because I'm really bad at keeping up with news and social media. <laughs> because it at this point that this is going out, it's already passed, so I didn't get a chance to really promote it at all. But mm. there's a Virtual Jane Con that we all went to or missed depending (laughs) (laughs) okay so the crops move in and of course mary is anxious to make their acquaintance and immediately charles drives her over like as soon as they move in (laughs) and Anne is just happy that there was no room for her to go (laughs) but she's such a homebody but um (laughs) a return visit was owed and so the crops came to see them and Anne is talking to Mrs. Croft the whole time. Uh, she tries to see if she looked like her brother and was impressed by her stature and kindness. And she's pretty sure she doesn't know about Anne and Wentworth, which is a relief to her. There she is, sleuthing, sleuthing <laughs> her secret way. <laughs> Trying to figure out what, who knows what. Her most subtle way. Do you know about a relationship? I don't think you do, or else you would have given me some sort of a look. <laughs> she does bring up her brother though and there's this little issue where Anne doesn't realize which brother she's talking about the clergyman brother is who she's talking about and he's now married so for a second she thinks it's Wentworth but she also says that her brother will be visiting soon as they are leaving or like visiting I guess visiting soon as they are leaving I don't know what I meant but her brother is supposed to come (laughs) visit soon (laughs) (laughs) or maybe that's when they're leaving the crop or the crops are leaving she's like oh yeah my brother's coming to visit and Anne is like allowing herself to be deluded that this would be also the preacher brother (laughs) but i like the (laughs) fact that she is allowing herself to be deluded because you know she knows perfectly well that she's probably not talking about that one 
No. But she wants to live in ignorance for a little bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Croft also got along really well with the children. So before the Crofts came over, we kind of have a little flashback. They had gone to the big house. And during that visit, they had all realized that Captain Wentworth had been the captain of poor Richard, their son (laughs) who died at sea. (laughs) Those Richards. I know this is you remember that from uh, what was it from Northanger Abbey where anybody named Richard in an Austin book is like a terrible person (laughs) that's right I completely forgot (laughs) without fail (laughs) poor dick Um, (laughs) uh, it was when he was stationed with Wentworth on his ship that he wrote the only two letters that weren't asking for money to his parents the whole time he was gone And uh, there's a pretty lengthy description of how useless this Richard was as a person (laughs) and a son. (laughs) But now that he's dead, they've softened up their memories of him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys had any favorite. I didn't write down any quotes from that, but it's pretty funny. The description of how useless Richard is or (laughs) it was. (laughs) Well, what's so funny is in the annotated book, it says that the her writing this character maybe an inside joke between her and her sister uh jane <laughs> because they had written letters back and forth complaining about a man named richard uh, about him putting off a marriage until he gets a better christian name or something <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like it almost feels oh. like she wrote this character in because she's like oh, god i hate that richard I'm, we need He's to find whoever is the expert on jane austen and richard and <laughs> tell us all about it. <laughs> she hates those Richards. Uh, but all this talk of Wentworth is really starting to fray Anne's nerves. And uh, she knows that this is something she's going to have to like inure herself to because she's going to be around it. And everyone's super anxious to meet him when he comes to town after all. Okay, so chapter seven. So it only is a couple more days before he shows up, Frederick. And of course, arrangements have to be made, but it all went really quickly. And Anne is like counting down the days, hoping for at least a week before she has to see him. He comes to visit the great house, but nobody has realized this yet. Or like Anne and Mary haven't realized this in their house. And so they're on their way to the great house for a visit which they would have run into him. But before they can get very far, Mary's oldest son falls from a tree and dislocates his collarbone. Oh, God. I know. Major. Crazy. I fell out of a window when I was a kid. So I'm sure I that. Um, <laughs> the trauma must be great for parents. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That's so painful. Especially at that time. Yeah, Mary immediately starts having hysterics. So Anne does all the things. <laughs> she sends for the apothecary. She's tending to little Charles. She's sending for big Charles. She's keeping the servants on task. She's banishing the other child. She's calming Mary down. <laughs> so, but when Charles arrives, he at least can take care of Mary. They're all afraid that it could be a spinal injury. Uh, but the doctor comes. He adjusts the collarbone and everything seems okay for now. Meanwhile, the folks at the big house have been running back and forth to keep everyone informed. And Whitworth <laughs> is there the whole time. So 
<laughs> at the end and is forced to listen to the Musgrove girls gush about how hot Wentworth is as like, she's like, oh my God, this has been the craziest day and now I have to listen to this. Okay. <laughs> she's like, I know I dated him. Maybe it's for the best though, because you know how when you're like so discombobulated, it can kind of like put all that other crap out of your head. So she's not worrying about it all day. Right. Well, what's so, I think we had touched on this in the last episode, this whole like, child falling out of the tree incident was so in the adaptation that we watched it was so like blown up and like crazy and they were like this kid's gonna die and in the book there she's just like he just fell out of a tree and now I'm gonna care for him I guess so it's very like subdued yeah to be fair Mary might have been acting like he was gonna die <laughs> I think she does say one of these chapters at some point that she wasn't sure if he was gonna make it but he guess he's gonna make it <laughs> yeah like the next day when she's like uh can i leave him alone i think i can <laughs> <laughs> which so, um I, f- I forget which adaptation did you watch we watched the sally hawkins one okay yeah yeah but we did talk about how there's two more coming down the pipe <laughs> <laughs> very excited okay so because of all this craziness they postponed the dinner with wentworth to the next night and they're all a they're only sad because Mary and Charles can't come because they have to stay with uh, their broken child. Um, <laughs> Charles is so worried about his child that he goes out shooting. <laughs> <laughs> and he convinces himself with some help from his father that he wouldn't be very helpful for his son and he should probably go to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> what can I do there? <laughs> and as soon as he leaves the room, because Mary knows that she's not gonna be able to change his mind but as soon as he leaves the room she starts complaining to Anne. she's like i'm not any better suited for looking after little charles (laughs) (laughs) she's just waiting for Anne to be like go just go yeah and convinces her she should go too and charles is pleased and they go off for a fun night with wentworth as Anne keeps an eye on the kid I said she's the only one he behaves around anyway, so mine is. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I did say I feel like this scene shows that Mary isn't quite as bad as she comes across in the adaptations because usually as soon as Charles is like, "Oh, I don't think I should go," she's like, "Well, I shouldn't go either," you know, and it starts a big fight. Right. But really, she waited till he left the room and was like just complaining to Anne, which doesn't feel as annoying for some reason. It's like, well, yeah. of course, she's the one you complain to, so. Yeah, (laughs) you're confidant. (laughs) So Anne is perfectly content to stay. Although she does seem to have a little bit of FOMO at the thought of him making, uh, Wentworth making himself agreeable to others. (laughs) Especially He's over there being nice to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Charles and Mary come home fawning over Wentworth and... (laughs) Um, they made this convoluted plan to go shooting the next day, except Wentworth was going to have breakfast at the big house first instead of their house. And Anne is like, okay, well, he's definitely trying to avoid me. <laughs> Sleuth Anne. <laughs> but on the way to shoot, they end up stopping by the cottage anyway. And Anne and Wentworth make half eye contact and bow to each other. <laughs> she says... The room seemed full, full of persons and voices, but a few minutes ended it. <laughs> and then he's gone. <laughs> and after he leaves, Anne tells herself, it's over. It is over. <laughs> the worst is over. <laughs> 
She just keeps telling herself this again and again as Mary drones on. <laughs> and uh, she's feeling a lot at this moment and she's kind of mad at herself. She's like, eight years, almost eight years had passed since all had been given up. How absurd to be resuming the agitation which such an interval had banished into distance and indistinctness. It included nearly a third part of my her own life. <laughs> <laughs> Alas, with all her reasoning, she found that two retentive feelings, eight years, maybe a little more than nothing. And I, <laughs> I did say at this point, she uses a lot of exclamation points. I never realized how many exclamation points were in Jane Austen, but like in the middle of sentences, there are just exclamation yeah. points everywhere. <laughs> it's like modern day texting. <laughs> it's a very passionate book. <laughs> It really is. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I feel like we think of Anne as being like one of the quiet ones, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of times we think of the quote unquote quiet ones as not having a whole lot of strong feelings, kind of like Marianne accuses Eleanor of. But mm -hmm. we right. get so much of, of Anne's like inside thoughts that it's pretty clear that she, she's got some strong feelings, even if yeah. she tries to talk herself out of them all the time. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say she's probably like the most like emotional of all the heroines and more in, most in touch, I would say. Yeah. With that I side of herself. Her observing her own inner like mm. monologue and trying to calm her own personal feelings is kind of what makes her so good at reading other people's motives and what they're thinking because she's like kind of analyzing herself all the time like it's been eight years you need to get over it you know I've, yeah. I've I feel like I've had all of these same monologues as Anna <laughs> not specifically for the same reason but just like okay stop brain you need to just let it go <laughs> take a break <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and then like she's she talks about she doesn't want to be self-deluding Right. And then we see her being self deluding, where she's like, I don't care if he's being agreeable to everybody else. And I don't care if he's there. <laughs> and the whole time, her, her heart is breaking. <laughs> it's like she's so used to having to reassure everyone around her that she's like, Well, I have to reassure myself over and over again, even though I'm not okay. God, she just needs a friend. Someone she yes. have to. <laughs> <laughs> that's not lady wrestle <laughs> with two sisters you'd think it would be there would be someone built in but that's just so sad so sad yeah okay so mary also to add a little salt to the wound tells her later captain whitworth is not very gallant by you anne though he was so attentive to me <laughs> henrietta asked him what he thought of you when they went away and he said you were so altered he should not have known you again <laughs> <laughs> and she's like oh and as she's mortified by this the words dwell with her but after a while she's glad she heard them because they sober her up so to speak and mm. she's like well i broke his heart and now he thinks i'm ugly so Forget about it. <laughs> Am I projecting? I don't know. <laughs> no. That's a constant thought for all of Jane Austen's words. Am I projecting on this character? Oh, he did tell his sister that now that he was rich with no obligations, he was determined to marry. 
And he says he thinks he'd be fine with either of the Musgrove girls. All he really wants is a woman with a strong mind and sweetness of manner. He's thought a lot about it over the past hmm, approximately eight years, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> He's feeling a certain way. <laughs> oh, okay, so chapter eight. <laughs> So from then on, Anne and Wentworth pretty much have to be in company with each other constantly. He seems to measure time by whether it was before the year six or after, <laughs> which, of course, reminds Anne of what was happening in the year six, mm-hmm. which I, I think it's a shame we didn't decide to do that with our single digit years recently. Just call them year six. Year yes. Six. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, She doesn't think that it's possible that he's insensitive of the reminders. And she says things like, I saw a slight pause and change in countenance, so I know he's thinking this, though no one who hasn't studied his smallest change of expression would ever know that. (laughs) (laughs) And he seems to mostly ignore her, but she thinks she can feel his eyes on her every now and again, and occasionally she'll catch a hint that he asked something about her. It's kind of like one of those, you're going out of your way not to look at something, and so it's obvious that you that's all you want to look at kind of a thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His silence speaks volumes. Okay. <laughs> So they're all together. They're looking over his old naval records. His first boat was the Asp, and... He got it when he was so anxious to leave town back in six. For some reason. The yeah. <laughs> the Laconia, where poor Richard was on the crew, <laughs> I guess was after. And Wentworth is ve- very kind to Mrs. Musgrove's motherly feelings and even sits on the same sofa as Anne <laughs> when talking to her. <laughs> And this is when Anne goes on about Mrs. Musgrove's fatness for a minute, which is rude. I wrote. Because <laughs> 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 she's like, even though she's fat, she can still feel feelings. <laughs> <laughs> when you break it down. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there was just something about. I don't know if fat was used in the same way or if it had a different kind of. I don't know, but it definitely felt kind of rude on Anne's part to be like, well, she's bad, but she can still feel. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't have to be happy all the time. (laughs) It doesn't make her ridiculous. (laughs) Like Anne. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, you try having 12 kids and see where your body is. (laughs) (laughs) Always forget that she had that many kids. (laughs) I don't even know how many kids she has just because they never put to find a point on how many little ones, but it implies there's a lot. Plenty. (laughs) Mrs. Croft talks about how happy she was living on board a ship with her hubby all these years. She's a very cool lady. Wentworth says that he didn't and wouldn't allow women on his ship unless a friend needed him to. And the Crofts are like, you wouldn't feel that way if you were married. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm tired of hearing that. Anne basically mindlessly plays the piano perfectly while crying to herself all evening. (laughs) (laughs) This section of the book is so like, she's so like, oh, poor me, poor me, woe is me. 
Well, but it's like silently to herself. Like she's never like talking to anyone about it. She's just silently playing the piano crying. Yeah. (laughs) Perfectly, mind you. Yes, of course. (laughs) Without even thinking about what she's doing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so while Anna's crying to herself at the piano, Louisa and Henrietta are flirting up a storm with Wentworth. But Wentworth does wonder if Anne ever dances. They have this little moment where he accidentally takes her seat and he won't let her demure and let him have it. He's like, no, I insist. (laughs) (laughs) And she says at the end of the whole thing, his cold politeness, his ceremonious grace were worse than anything. (laughs) But I think he was really just trying to be nice. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so chapter nine. Wow, we can't believe we're in chapter nine. I wonder if this is a long one. Okay, so Wentworth, quite a regular visitor at Uppercross. He loved, oh, they loved him up there and flattered him so much that he always wanted to be there. (laughs) (laughs) He was even supposed to visit his brother and new wife, but he kept putting it off. Uh, Louisa and, and, and Henrietta are infatuated. And then Charles Hader returns home. <laughs> Who's Charles Hader, you ask? Why, he is the Musgrove's cousin. <laughs> he is the plot point that needs to show up now. Yes. <laughs> yes. We only get the littlest, like, actual interaction with him. And it's not really that great, but no. we'll get there. I don't know if that's in this scene or not, but. Yeah. He's the eldest son of Mrs. Musgrove's sister. He and Henrietta had an almost understanding when he left two weeks ago, but when he returns, he finds Wentworth taking all of her attention, and he automatically does not like him. That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so then Charles and Mary and probably everyone are gossiping about who Wentworth likes more and who he will pick. Mary wants it to be Henrietta because she doesn't think that the haters are rich enough. And Charles, being an eldest son, has sympathy for Charles. Okay, can I just say, there are too many (laughs) damn Charleses in this book. (laughs) It's really a family name, I guess. (laughs) There's a point later on where Admiral Croft is like, I wish all young ladies were named the same thing. And I'm like... You live in a society where everyone is saying the same thing. (laughs) They all have five names. (laughs) It's so confusing. Okay. Sorry. Um. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So uh, Mary wants it to be Henrietta because she doesn't want her to marry Charles Hater. But Charles Musgrove is an eldest son. So he has sympathy for Hater. And he thinks it should be Louisa for Hater's sake. And of course, if he wasn't the eldest, he wouldn't be good enough for her. <laughs> it's only because he is an older son himself. So Anne is feigning headaches left and right to stay away from Wentworth, <laughs> but also doesn't want to get pulled into all the gossip because it secretly breaks her heart every time she has to listen to all this. So she's been avoiding everyone. Like, oh, my head still hurts, guys. Taking some notes from Mary. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
One afternoon, though, Wentworth shows up at Mary's looking for the girls and finds just Anne and poor little broken baby Charles. (laughs) (laughs) So many Charles. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They both forget how to talk and be polite. So he stares out a window. Then (laughs) Charles Hader comes in and Wentworth, he doesn't know that Charles Hader hates him. (laughs) So he tries to talk to him, but Hader gives him the cold shoulder. And then the other two-year-old comes in and starts pulling Anne's head down and she can't get him to stop. And there's actually an illustrated picture in my book of a little boy <laughs> holding her head and she's like, let go, let go of my head. <laughs> and a hater is like, yells at him to stop, but it doesn't work. And then the next thing because she knows he's is being- two and two-year-olds don't listen when you <laughs> yell at them to do something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he didn't really try he was just like get yeah. off of your aunt but then Wentworth comes over and removes the little boy but walks away so she can't thank him <laughs> and this sends her into a sort of a fugue state where she only gets impressions of what is happening around her <laughs> <laughs> it's too confusing he does something nice and then just pretends like she doesn't exist <laughs> what's his game <laughs> and that is the end of this section i can't believe Woo! how fast we got through that yeah. <laughs> i guess i'm getting better at summing things up <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really good section okay so can i ask you guys something then yes please yeah you know how people sometimes go on and on about the men in jane austen's books and whether they're realistic or real people or um, that kind of thing. Do you guys feel like Captain Wentworth is realistic, or do you mm. think he's too at this point? Perfect, he's very or... realistic with his like. I'm not even going to look at you because you hurt my feelings once. I feel that is realistic, <laughs> <laughs> especially of the men of that time. Very prideful. I actually do find him realistic because even at the end when he has his big turnaround, it's so. I mean, my personal experience with men is that they are very overdramatic about things like that (laughs) when it comes to their feelings. (laughs) You know, it's either I hate you, I'm never talking to you, I'm going to pretend like you don't exist, even though it's obvious that that's all you care about. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I've been so wrong. Let me profess my feelings in one giant burst because I held it all in so long. Yeah, it feels very um, male to me. Uh, yeah, I also I find him a little... <laughs> got some personal feelings, but I I find him I find him pretty realistic. I think where where I'm at right now with it is at this part, Anne's kind of like our guide into everything going around, and you know we can see that she's kind of trying to keep her distance and kind of just give us a little bit of information. I don't think she's really as honest with us about everything. Like she mm. definitely seems to hold things back from us, but she, I will say she's pretty revealing with all, like any sort of like quote unquote faults. Like she's not revealed anything major, but he does come across as like a, maybe a little bit like full of himself and mm-hmm. she's not afraid to kind of let us see that. So I do like that aspect of it. And I think mm. that makes him a little bit more, likable too interesting yeah what do you think Kristen well it's hard for me to tell because I've read this so much I think of him as very realistic and I also I think of him as 
very romantic. And I think a big part of that has to do with what's going to go on in the future. But there's a couple of things he does in these chapters that I see as, oh, that's so, he, it seems like he's thinking about her, you know, with the little boy, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple other things like making sure that Charles Musgrove, make sure we know which Charles <laughs> we're talking about. Charles <laughs> Musgrove runs ahead to tell Anne and Mary that they're all coming so that they're not surprised. And maybe that's yeah. just being polite, but maybe it's, you know, watching out for her a little bit, which, so I don't know how much of that is me being self-deluding and being like, <laughs> oh, I know in the end, he's going to be perfect for her. And maybe, I don't know. So I think he's a very interesting, complicated character because like, it's clear that he was only there for Anne. Like, he doesn't really care about Louisa or Henry. I mean, it's not that clear at the beginning to us, the reader. Mm -hmm. But once you get to know him, it seems clear going back and reading it. Like, it's almost like when someone ignores you and it's like, they talk about everything else but you. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, that big hole that you're not talking about is clearly the thing that's most at the top of your mind. So, yeah, I, I like it. It's like a very realistic and complicated person that you don't I I mean I don't think like a Darcy necessarily mm-hmm. well you know I mean Darcy's got his own realism but yeah mm-hmm. I think that Jane Austen does write realistic men yeah you know I sometimes she writes unrealistic caricature characters but <laughs> even fun. they yeah. are kind yeah. of you know yeah. based in some reality yeah yeah Yeah, it's like she met somebody in her life and noticed something funny about him and just blew up this whole character around one (laughs) funny tick or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was also thinking this time around about the similarities between Sir Walter and Captain Wentworth or potential similarities Mm. because just on a surface level, they both have their book. So like Mm -hmm. their book where their history is written that they both love. But we know that, what is the line, vanity was the beginning and the end of Sir Walter's character. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you think about Wentworth and I mean, you know, he's he's got issues, right? But vanity is like, everybody's really appealing to his vanity at Uppercross and he yeah. likes that. And he just keeps coming yeah. back for more of that. And I feel like potentially he could end up being not as bad as Sir Walter probably, but a vain kind of guy. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, and even when at the very beginning when she's talking about when they first met and why Lady Russell didn't like him because he was so like oh, such yeah. a braggart and he yeah. had so much ego. And yeah, so yeah. I could definitely see the similarities. Maybe if he had been born into a baronetcy, he would have been exactly like Sir Walter. <laughs> probably would have. <laughs> <laughs> Well, luckily his parents are dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see Anne, though, if when they do end up together, she doesn't seem the type to kind of like, like a Lizzie Bennett would be where she would kind of bring him back down to earth. So I, I it is interesting to think about like, as they get older, like, is he going to kind of continue this, like, not at the same level, but like the same trajectory as a Sir Walter Mm-hmm. Or is well, he going to kind of mellow out? It's kind of nice that we're getting to actually get to know these characters after like their youth. And so they've kind of already mellowed out in their own way. So I guess mm-hmm. we can have a lot of 
hope for the future of Wentworth because yes. at least he went off, he fought in wars. I'm sure that does a lot for your character, you know, seeing friends Definitely. die and all sorts of crazy stuff, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And also, I mean, we know that everybody trusts Anne. So even though we know that she's not perfect and she's kind of maybe overly dramatic in her own head and maybe she's too willing to believe things that aren't exactly true. Um, overall, we know that she's a pretty good judge of character and she still, she still loves him. So um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's also worth taking into account as we judge him. Yeah. yeah and definitely. you know, even like back in the day when Lady Russell thought that about him and was like, yeah, I see what she's saying, but I can see through that. So, right. and I kind of love that about him, you know? So right. it's very interesting. This book is very, I feel like it's got a lot of depth, oh, <laughs> depth yeah. of character. <laughs> yeah. I think cause you spend so much time in pe- like everybody's heads. So, you know, she, it does feel really deep because you are seeing what's going on below the surface. So, yeah, I think next time we get together for one of these episodes, because I feel like we're running a little late now, but we should definitely talk about who is narrating Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. because it seems unclear to me, but I don't, we should probably save that for another one. Okay. Oh, wait, do we have any favorite moments though from that section? I would say mine's probably when Mary and Charles convince themselves that they need to go to the party for the sake of their child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like that. Cause I think a Mary moment was my favorite last episode. So I think Mary is just going to be that continuing thread. <laughs> She's so ridiculous yeah. and amazing. <laughs> she is a really fun character. Do you have a favorite Kristen? Probably my favorite is, I mean, I love, hearing Mary talk herself into stuff. That's, that's always fun. But <laughs> as far as just a moment, I, I really love the part where he saves her from the two-year-old where Wentworth saves oh, Anne from yes. the two-year-old yes, without saying anything. Yes. It's yeah. just so thoughtful. I, I felt the pain of like, I've got some, you know, a kid pulling me down and I can't move. <laughs> Especially in your corset. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I guess for me, I kind of like, you know, getting to know the Crofts a little mm. bit more at the party. So and I also kind of, I mean, it's sad, but I like just the image of Anne playing mindless piano while crying and nobody noticing her. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, um, was her name also Mary from Pride and Prejudice? The, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the third sister? Yeah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> very, just fades into the background. Something about Mary's too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, what's next? Deep dive? Yes. Okay, well, perfect deep dive. Um, I did it on Mary Musgrove. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so... I did find a like a student thesis about it's called from vanity grief and Mary Musgrove. I think I might've missed a word, but it's by Anneli Olson Hagman written in 2020 for the university of Gavle. G A V L E. 
I was very surprised. I put in Mary Musgrove and this came up and I was, I was like, Mary Musgrove theories. But I would just want to read a little bit of their like thesis because I thought it was interesting. The purpose of their essay was to show that there's much more to the youngest daughter of the family, Mary Musgrove, than what first meets the eye. She's actually a complex character who's been through a lot of suffering and is feeling very lonely. By doing close reading and using psychoanalytical literary theory, the connections between Mary's childhood experiences and her adult behavior can be made clear in order to support the theory of her being controlled by the power of her unconscious. She's still suffering from as an adult, from a repressed feelings of being unloved and neglected, as well as actively grieving the loss of her mother. Hmm. Mary's character lacks the power of introspection, hmm. unlike Anne, and therefore provides an opportunity to view the other side of the coin, the consequences of the same lonely and tragic upbringing without the possibility of bettering one's life by getting insights generated by self-distance. So, hmm. like... Yeah, she just isn't able to look at herself as critically as Anne is. But also, she lost her mother when she was younger than Anne. Mm -hmm. And she was, oh, I think, was she away at school? Yeah, She, she was at boarding school. Oh, no. No, she was, she was at school. boarding school when, when Anne got engaged. She right, Anne went to school early. right after, so. Yeah, she was like 9 or 10 when her mom died. So Anne wasn't even there for Mary because Anne got shipped off to boarding school. Mm -hmm. And you know Elizabeth isn't going to be very um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> compassionate. And I did find this time reading Mary, like, she's... Uh, her main problem is when people aren't paying attention to her. So, mm -hmm. like, she would do really badly as Anne. <laughs> she would be, <laughs> she would be sent suffering. to an insane asylum if she was still <laughs> with the Elliots, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but i did think that was just you know interesting someone's writing a whole defense of mary musgrove and like she had a lot of problems but then i found this other interesting thing there was a real mary musgrove oh. hmm. a real person named mary musgrove she was a creek woman married to an english trader and she was very comfortable in both worlds she served as interpreter translator and facilitator to oglethorpe and his band of colonists and was largely responsible for the peaceful establishment of Savannah, Georgia. Oh, wow. Um, Cause Oglethorpe, I think was the one who created Georgia or like founded, founded Georgia. And actually, interestingly, Georgia was banned slavery when it was first formed, probably mainly because it was economical because the Spanish owned Florida and they would grant their slaves freedom in exchange for military service. So they thought if they had slaves in Georgia, they would just go to Florida and join the army and fight against them. Hmm. Just in case you were thinking, oh, that's nice of them to not have slaves. Um, <laughs> There's always a motive. But anyway, it is possible that Jane Austen knew some of this and that the name Mary Musgrove was known to her. So... Hmm. might have been kind of an inspiration to her when she was naming the character <laughs> not as much writing the character but <laughs> <laughs> no probably not <laughs> okay so for sorting i looked up what causes depression for each of the zodiac signs <laughs> <laughs> and i got the three fire signs <laughs> Great. being ignored is not good for a fire sign okay <laughs> so here's our choices we've got aries 
Aries becomes depressed when they are ignored. Hey, hey, we're all three fire signs, right? You're Aries, right, Kristen? Yeah. Yep. Aries, Sagittarius, Leo, we're all represented. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Aries becomes depressed when they are ignored. These people burn very brightly, and if your attention is not on them, they sink into depression. They are adamant about being validated by your approval of them, and when they don't get it, they sink. So that should sound like her a lot. Leo. Leo becomes very disturbed when they don't get what they want, (laughs) whether it's a person, a thing, or an idea. Their ego needs to be in control. And when things don't go as planned, they wallow in depression. They also let you know they are wallowing, just in case you missed out on their sadness. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. And then (laughs) for Sagittarius, being alone is a huge depression trigger for adventurous Sagittarius. Oddly enough, the one sign that could be considered the most comfortable with being alone is also the sign that secretly worries about being alone for too long. It's as if they made their beds, but lying in them depresses them. Sagittarius are solitary people who love being this way until it hits them that it might be very lonely after a while. So I don't really think that one's as much her, but I think Aries or Leo, uh, I don't know if she, well, I guess she does need to be in control. (laughs) 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 she does kind of assume a more controlling like when she's kind of become the the center of attention of the group then she kind of takes control so i like the whole leo aspect that really jumped out to me yeah Yeah. letting everyone know when you're yes (laughs) (laughs) but i did think aries was good too because just they just become so depressed when they're ignored and that is her main trigger but you know didn't we do the last one, Leo? Oops, on Sir we Walter? did. Yes, we did. <laughs> it's a family of Leos. <laughs> and for her, I said, I think these are the same ones I said for Sir Walter as well. Chaotic neutral or lawful neutral? Oh, wait, Kristen, say... did you say which you thought, Aries or Leo? I would lean toward Leo based on what you said. <laughs> we do know she was when she was born, though. That's true, but she I don't know if that makes a difference, but... What was she was... November 20th. I just looked it up. November 20th. Yeah, that was the baronetage. That's That's Sagittarius, right? It might be Sagittarius. That's crazy. But based on what you said, Leo sounded spot on to me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't think Jane Austen was taking horoscopes into account when she probably (laughs) Probably not. not. (laughs) Jane Austen was a Sagittarius, though. Good club. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't think we've classified very many people as sagittarius no maybe like mary crawford or something but okay so D. I said chaotic neutral or lawful neutral did i already say that <laughs> i think i like chaotic neutral because she doesn't necessarily have like a good or evil like leaning um and she tends mm-hmm. to be more self-indulgent but the chaoticness is kind of like leans to you never really know what kind of mare you're getting if she's been alone for a while so (laughs) that's true (laughs) that's true i only was thinking of her in the same way i was thinking of sir walter just like so concerned with like the strata of society and how everything Hmm. should go in its place but i don't know if that necessarily makes her lawful but yeah i don't i wouldn't put her evil or good well i'm sorry say that again i said she is very concerned with the rules yeah that's true like societal rules yeah so maybe lawful neutral then yeah let's go with lawful neutral i like that just for fun (laughs) all right (laughs) and that's it for the deep dive 
Yes. Oh yeah, do we have any final thoughts on chapters six through nine? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like now that we've talked about it and I'm like thinking it back over, I'm kind of picking up on all these things that Anne is telling us about uh, Captain Martin, like how she's feeling about him being around there and how he doesn't want to see her. And that she's like, it's so obvious. And I just, I feel like the more we talk about her, the more a little bit of like an unreliable narrator to me she's becoming because like she's, I feel like she's kind of like in her head about this whole thing about him not wanting to see her because he's asking, why doesn't she want to dance anymore? And, you know, uh, sending Charles up ahead again to let them know. And so I feel like if he didn't want to see her, he would just be rude to her, which is kind of like the thing of the day. I think, though, it's, like, so obvious when Anne is just t- telling herself what she feels she needs to hear in order for her to be able to cope with the situation. And when mm-hmm. I still feel like her observational skills are pretty spot on. Like, yeah. you know, it's it's like he's not looking at me. She's making this, you know, like, so obviously there's something there, but, like, She's taking that and then interpreting it like, well, that must mean he doesn't like me because I don't want my heart to break anymore. So like, Mm -hmm. but, you know, there are times coming up where she'll be like, I think maybe he does actually like when, what did Mm -hmm. he just do in this last, well, when he takes the kid away and she's like, wait a minute. So unexpected. Yeah. And like, (laughs) she, she does kind of like go into a fugue state for a minute. She's like, I don't know what's going on around me for a few minutes. I can't hear any words that anyone is saying. (laughs) People are talking, but I'm stuck in my head right now. (laughs) A world stopping moment for her. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Any other final thoughts on this section? I will say I'm very excited to get to the next section because lime is my favorite part. And I'm, I don't know if he'll be with us for, I don't know. Let me look how much of Lime happens in the next section. We still have to have the long talk oh, yeah. in the grounds. Yeah, I think they go to Lime in the next one because that's like the break between volume one and volume two and the next yeah. episode will be halfway. So we'll have to catch up with you in the pre the subsequent episode about Lime because okay. yeah, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on it, even though you won't be able to join us for that particular episode. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, I was going to say for just sort of my final thoughts was I was surprised at how long it took to set up going to Uppercross in the first place. Like the first, what, four chapters, almost five chapters, she's still at Kellynch Hall and there's quite a bit of setup that has to get done. I didn't remember it taking that long, but it, it did. Yeah. I always think of this as like, one of the biggest parts of the book at Uppercross. But I guess there's four main sections, so. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was shocked too. And I was really surprised, even though, you know, I've read it before, but like how much a book almost seems like it's talking, like it's about Sir Walter for the first, Mm, you know, page or two because it's just like all about him. Mm -hmm. And you don't even kind of meet Anne until a few pages in. So, yeah. It's like after like, Elizabeth and after Lady <laughs> Russell and after Mr. Shepard, and then you finally meet Anne. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I wonder just what she was thinking when she originally sat down to write this. Was it like, I'm going to write about this snobby family? Because it was supposed to be about called the Elliots originally, right? Is that, that what you said, Christian? Oh. Yeah. Well, there was 
Okay. There was uh, something about how she, because she didn't name the book, her brother Henry did. Mm-hmm. And, but that like, inside the family, she always referred to the book as the Elliots. And so they always right. surmised that she would probably have called the book the Elliots, mm-hmm. which kind of like makes sense with like the first section because she's kind of jumping from family member to family member. Mm-hmm. And maybe she, after a while, she was just like, I need to stick with Anne because she's the best. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder because, you know, the, after this, she started on Sanditon, which was also kind of like about brothers and industry and town. And like, was that kind of where she was thinking she was going to head in this book? And then she was like, ah, but it's Anne. I, you know, I feel such a mm-hmm. kinship. I have to write her story. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I'll just get to, you know, my story of brothers later on. Not mm-hmm. that there's brothers in this, but you know what I'm saying? Like, Sibling was she intending to do something a little different mm-hmm. originally? Yeah. Well, it kind of seems like she, <laughs> maybe she fell in love with uh, the character she created and she was like, I have to tell the story. Yeah. She was like, wait a minute. Who's that little unassuming character back there? Let me <laughs> bring her the... forward and see what's going on with her. <laughs> Playing the piano crying. Who is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jane notices the the girl crying at the piano <laughs> while everyone is dancing around her. <laughs> oh, the Regency time must have been so depressing. <laughs> it sure sounds like <laughs> For women. Uh, yeah, especially. Well, let's do recommendations then. All right. Uh, do you have one? Um, I've written down several. Let's see which one seems the most Jane Austen-ish. Okay. <laughs> well, I did write... Okay, because, you know, I'm just not... For one thing, we're recording these all in a week. Six recommendations is hard to think of. But also, I'm just... I, I'm not consuming anything except mm-hmm. for video games I've already played before, you know, persuasion and stuff for the podcast. And otherwise, I'm just like still trying to unpack and get everything situated and I'm just not doing a lot of stuff. But I did get or I got a new piano. I traded out my old piano for a new piano recently, which has a full keyboard. So I've been playing it a lot more. And wait, I wait, thought wait, I would wait, recommend wait. your last one. Your last one did not have a full keyboard. <laughs> no, it was missing an octave on each side. <laughs> <laughs> on each by end. design or did they just not work? Uh, no, by design. Oh, okay. It was like a short, it was uh, that player piano. And so oh, I guess okay. when you use your feet, you don't need all the keys. <laughs> <laughs> It's so much easier to play songs when you're not having to transpose the top and bottom yeah. notes in your head at all times. <laughs> but anyway, so because I've been playing my piano, I thought I would recommend a piano book for anyone mm-hmm. who has a piano out there who just wants uh, some fun music to play. And if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you might already have it if you're a piano player. But <laughs> the Pride and Prejudice score from the 2005 oh, so movie has so such good. a great piano book. I can play all the songs in it, even though I'm not an advanced player. And they're so fun to play. And it feels like you're playing something so fancy and advanced. And it always <laughs> makes me want to watch, you know, any Jane Austen. Every time I play the piano, I want to watch Jane Austen. <laughs> but <laughs> especially that book. So yeah, a piano book. The Pride and Prejudice score from the nice. 2005 movie. <laughs> good one. Nice. 
It's fun to play. Yeah. Well, my recommendation is going to be a TV show. Now that it's on HBO Max, I would recommend that everyone go and rewatch The Nanny. Oh. Um, <laughs> it is my, I, I can say for a fact that it's my favorite sitcom. I remember I never, I watched it on growing up on reruns on Nick at Night. And I was just like immediately wrapped, especially by <laughs> Renee Taylor, who plays Sylvia, who's Fran's mom. And she's just, everything that comes out of her mouth is like the funniest thing I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. And um, it's just such a great show and it still holds up. So I would say go watch that. If you haven't, you need to watch it. It's so good. I never really watched The Nanny. I should give it a I shot. It. You should. It's really good. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and what did you say it was on HBO Max now? Yep. They just added it. Okay, cool. Definitely have to try that. Doesn't she have a catchphrase? What does she say all the time? Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Mr. Sheffield is like her boss's <laughs> name. So, and then she does her famous laugh. Mr. Sheffield. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. Don't make I... me do it. I haven't watched it enough, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. What do you got for us, Kristen? So I didn't go back and listen to the old podcast. So it's entirely possible that I have recommended this thing before, but don't worry about it. <laughs> it's, it's timely anyway. So I, one of the podcasts that I listened to is called craft lit. Ooh. And the idea I think originally was to have something to do while you're crafting, but basically they, <laughs> they have people read audiobook versions of books that are in the public domain. Cool. And the woman who hosts it, she was a teacher, English teacher for a long time. So she'll give context and all kinds of fun stuff to go with the, the readings. Well, they're doing North Anger Abbey right now. Wow. So yeah. So they're about, where are they? What has just happened? Catherine finally had her walk with the Tilneys in Bath. <sighs> and I think that's about where they are now. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Isabella and James got engaged. So that's about where they are <laughs> in the story. Um, but for anybody who wants to, (laughs) (laughs) we're starting to wonder about her, but anyway, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but for anybody who wants to go back and revisit Northanger Abbey, get to hear the whole text and just some fun context as well. And if you know where the story is going, it's especially fun to hear the context because she doesn't give away any spoilers. Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I've been worried that. You know, people might read along with us and then I might, we might accidentally spoil stuff from the end just because we read it all at once. But yeah. I think we're doing okay. So <laughs> it's a 200 year old book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've had time. It's really That's not right. that surprising anything that happens in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but oh, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. The woman that she has reading it, um, her name is Maya or Maya, one of the two. <laughs> And it's spelled differently than yours, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's funny. Well, that's cool. Yeah. We should write them or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've been enjoying your guests. Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. yeah, if we weren't trying to do this, like, we're trying to take a couple of months off for the summer now that we're all getting vaccinated. And, you know, it's just been a long year and I need mid break. break. <laughs> 
But once we come back, I'm hoping to have some more fun guests. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. have some. We might have some of those. Uh, we'll see if we can get some of those Jane Austen people for Twin Peaks episodes because a lot of them said they had watched it and were interested in maybe talking about an episode. So that'd be fun. Maybe we'll try to record some Twin Peaks episodes with them. Mm-hmm. But once we come back in like August or July or whenever we finally run out of stuff that we've pre-recorded. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely try to um we'll we'll be full of vim and vigor and ready to start asking some strangers if they'll (laughs) (laughs) it's always so much fun when we do (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right well i guess that's it for today next week we will be doing twin peaks four episode four (laughs) (laughs) And when we come back the week after that, we will be doing chapters 10 through 13 of Persuasion. Yeah, very exciting. uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But even though we are not like recording them at the same time they're going out, we still would love to hear from you about what you're thinking about Persuasion. We're going to do a check-in when we come back, so we'll get to talk about all the stuff you guys send in. Yes. (laughs) Team Wentworth or Team Tilney? (laughs) (laughs) who's the better perfect man (laughs) i think i prefer tilney personally he's a lot but maybe that's just because i'm looking at him through a 17 year old girl's eyes (laughs) (laughs) definitely some bias (laughs) he's just so funny yeah he is he's kind of a goofball yeah in like the best way is much more serious. Yeah. Although I, I like to think he could be a card sometimes. We just never get to see that part of him. <laughs> <laughs> you can't let anyone know. <laughs> uh, but if you want to get in contact with us, which we hope that you will. Yes. You can email us at mannersofmadness at gmail.com. You could DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersofmadnesspod. Or you can leave a one-minute voicemail on our website, mannersofmadness.com. Yes, and if you happen to be looking at our website, or if you are interested in supporting the podcast, you could go to our website, and there is a make a donation button there. We are in the process of getting new equipment because all of our old equipment (laughs) broke on us. So (laughs) we would really, really appreciate any financial support that you guys would love to give us. And... If you are interested in a Patreon, please let us know because we are interested in starting one. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we're hoping to hear from you. And I think I said everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. But um, thank you, Kristen, for joining us. This was fun. Oh, thank you for oh, having yes. me. Thank you so much. And we'll have Kristen back for at least two more episodes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Well, okay. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. I'm so bad at ending the podcast.